Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you about the Canadian jazz musician and his incredible story that joins art, family mystery, and Poland. How to best see the whole of Canada by cycling from the Pacific to the Atlantic. And why the Polish language is so difficult. In our first episode, we explained how we came up with our name, Polcast, Paul and all that jazz. Today, a few words about our logo, a wing over a microphone. Why the wing? There are numerous symbols of Poland the eagle, the stork, amber, and also husaria. Winged hussars were one of the main types of the cavalry between the 16th and the 18th centuries. Adopted from the Serbians in the 14th century, the name, in fact, is of Hungarian origin. Like hey now. Oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> We're going to talk about it a little later. Um, well, hussars cons were considered the elite of the Polish cavalry, and they were recruited from the w very wealthy Polish nobility. Remember the story about coffee and the Battle of Vienna in 1683? That's where Polish husaria played an important role. The hussars were famous for their huge wings, wooden frame with eagle, ostrich, swan, and goose feathers. In the 16th century, Characteristic painted wings, or winged claws, began to appear on cavalry shields as well. The age-old military dilemma is how to equip an army with more powerful weapons and stronger armor, but at the same time make soldiers faster and more agile. The ingenious Polish solution was to scare the heck out of horses, with the loud, clattering noise of wooden frame feathered wings. So when we asked people which of the three or four logos we suggested they liked the most, their choice was absolutely clear. The one with Husaria wings. Warsaw, 1934. You're listening to the original recording of a 1933 song, Bal u Grubego Party at Fat Joe's. The song is also known as Balna Gnojne, Party on Gnojna Street. Anyone who is Polish, especially from Warsaw, knows this song. Old-style street bands played it as their main hit before, during and after the war, and they still do. It's been performed by top Polish artists and even has a punk version. Generations of Poles danced to it. Its slang lyrics and its idiom reflect the pre-war spirit so important later during the Nazi occupation of invincible Varsovians and tell a story set in a hugely popular Jewish restaurant in Warsaw on Gnojna Street called At Fat Joe's, Ugrubego Joska. 
For a hundred years, the restaurant was owned by the Ladovsky family. Before the war, its owner was Joseph Ladovsky, Fat Joe, Gruby Yoshik. Fast forward 50 years, 7,000 kilometers. Ron Davis, Toronto-based versatile pianist composer called one of Canada's A-list pianists, a brilliant virtuoso by jazz critics, apart from talent and skill, has a unique story that joins music, family history and Poland in such a fascinating way that we decided to spread it over two episodes. Let's talk about your Polish connection. It's a very deep uh, connection. My mother was born Awisia Wadowska in Warsaw. She lived on uh, Ulica Rinkova, uh, and uh, which was uh, um, also known as Gnoina. It was an area uh, that uh, was a Jewish area in part. My mother did survive a concentration camp, but she, she had no papers, uh, nothing, just, actually just like Warsaw as a whole. My mother, everything my mother had was lost in the wars. We had nothing for, but her family, so everything she told us was was an oral history. In the oral history, she told us that her father had a restaurant that was so famous that even uh, all, all the great politicians came there, even Marshal Pilsudski came, came there, and we had no way of verifying this because her, her father died before the war, and uh, the rest of her family died during World War II, and there were no papers. So we just thought this was a bit of a story, uh, and my father who was a Hungarian, my father said, oh, that's not true, you're making it up. And my mother said, no, it was a famous restaurant. It was so famous that there was a song written about it. And we would say, well, where's the song? And my mother's not musical, so she did, couldn't really hum it. And, and she, again, she had nothing to prove it. So this is how we grew up. And then um, in my late 30s, I took my mother to an uh, affair, an exhibition here in Toronto where they had pavilions from all over the world, and one was from Poland, and my mother ran right over to the Polish pavilion, and I see her waving to me, and, Ronnie, come here, come here! And she's holding up a book, and I still have the book today, and it's a music book. I look, and I see Balnagenoina, uh, which is another name uh, for uh, uh, the, the song about my uh, grandfather, and I see the name Josef, Wadowski in there. So everything my mother had said and everything my father didn't believe and everything we didn't know to be true was true. And not only that, but uh, we went in a part of Toronto, Roncesvalles, where there is a heavy Polish population. Uh, and when I say we, it was me and a producer from CBC Radio uh, took me there. And we walked up and down Roncesvalles and we just stopped people on the street and we said, are you Polish? And if they said yes, the producer had me sing the song, and asked the person, do you know that song? And most of the people said, of course I know that song. And, and then she would introduce me as the grandson of Groba Joska, and people couldn't believe that there was a real Joska and that the, the song was rooted in reality. I tell people sometimes, it's as if somebody from Poland went to Ireland and said, you know the song Danny Boy? Well, this is Danny's grandson. What were the reactions of, of the people who heard this program? The feedback both to uh, Barb Dickey's program on CBC 
and to the song and the story in general has always been one of huge emotion. It seems that uh, not only my connection that was brought out to Poland and, and this deepening of my connection with my mother, but also this vindication of my mother's story that had been wiped out by the Nazis, um, just in the way that her home city of Warsaw was wiped out. That vindication brings a great deal of emotion to people, um, as it does to me. It's almost like a happy ending in a movie. So after you've discovered that the whole story was true, and the place existed, and the song is famous, you didn't stop there, right? You did something amazing, which is you used it in your music. Well, yes, uh, the added bonus of this discovery was that uh, Balnagnoina is a beautiful song. You decided to actually <laughs> make it a signature um, signature uh, theme of the album. Well, and it's actually the title. So the That's title right. of the album is My Mother's Father's Song. And it's uh, focused around uh, Balnagnoina. And um, all of these arrangements are lyrical, a bit of a nostalgia for Warsaw. There's a little story about the piano solo version on the recording. actually financed by my father. Um, the very same father who said he never believed my mother's story. So when it came time for me to record it, he helped pay for the recording. And um, when I was in the studio, the last thing I recorded was the solo version of Balnaganoina. And my phone rang. And I saw it was my father calling. And I said, should I take it? And I said, no, 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 I have to do this recording. So I didn't take his call and I recorded the solo version, and then we were finished the recording, that was it. And I said, well, my father called, maybe I should go visit him. So I went to visit him, he said, I, I, I called you because I received the check for your recording to pay for the recording. So he gave me the check and we talked a bit, and the very next morning he passed away. So it was like the last connection I had with him was with this song. So my whole family and the whole history and the whole survival of the war is wrapped up in, in Balnaganoina. And this is just part one of this unbelievable story. To discover its ending, listen to our next episode. For a lot more information on Ron Davis, the song, and Barb Dickey's superb CBC Tapestry radio show, visit our website at mypolcast.com.
that there is only one word in English which has two different meanings and two different pronunciations depending on whether you started with a lower or an uppercase letter. That word is P-O-L-I-S-H. Polish, capital letter, versus Polish. As to Polish, it's notorious for being one of the most difficult languages. Why is it so difficult? The Polish alphabet consists of 32 letters. English has 26. Otherwise common letters are adorned with the so-called diacritic marks. For example, Z or Z is pronounced Z, but it can also appear with an accent-like diacritic mark, and then it's pronounced Z, or with a dot, and then it's pronounced as Z. The language has a relatively simple vowel system, two nasal vowels like in French, un and on, but it has a killer consonant system. Unpronounceable multiple consonant clusters make it sound like Let's take a word four consonants in a row. Same in wstrząsać, rozstrzelany, or even five, bezwzględność. Try the famous chrząszcz. Five sounds, one vowel, and nine letters. Well, no wonder that English speakers often ask, don't you guys have any vowels between those endless consonants? Jajśnica ze piorkiem. This was not a tongue twister, just a regular Polish dish, scrambled eggs with green onions. Jajecznica ze szczypiorkiem. Do you want to hear a tongue twister? W czasie suszy, w czasie suszy, suchą szosą szed szasa. Oh my gosh. Okay. W czasie suszy. Suchą szosą szedł z szasza i suszył suszarką suchy szuszcz. Szuszcz, nie suszcz. Susz. More about other peculiarities of the Polish language next time. W goszczu szczawiu we wrzeszczu, klaszczą kleszcze na deszczu. Szepcze szczygieł w szczelinie, szczeka szczeniak w szczuczynie, piszczy pszczoła pod pszczyną, świszcze świerszcz pod leszczyną, a trzy pliszki i liszka taszczą płaszcze w szypliszkach. Anna Sienicka is the first Pole and one of very few women who cycled across Canada, world's second largest country after Russia. Anna rode her bike from mile zero in Victoria, British Columbia, to North America's easternmost point, Cape Spear in Newfoundland. 7,200 kilometers, or 4,470 miles, from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic. She set off on June the 9th. Her trip lasted 77 days, 22 of which she spent resting. She fulfilled her 18-year-old dream. The idea came to her mind when flying to settle in Canada and when landing in Toronto, she thought, wouldn't it be fun to bike across this huge and beautiful country? And she did, sharing this experience with her parents and seven-year-old son, who all accompanied her in the car. So once I decided, I, uh, I got myself a very good bike, very light, uh, Cervelo, and it's a really, um, it's a fast bike. 
so you don't get as tired. You had your parents with you and your son. How did that work out? Oh, it was the best decision ever. I asked my son. He said, yes, he wanted to do it. And then I asked my parents. And they've always wanted to see Canada. And that was actually a very good way for them to see because it's very slow pace uh, as a, for the card. Yeah, it was excellent. They were my technical team. My parents are very supportive. Um, they loved cooking for me. My dad would collect wild plants and berries. And we always ate really well. Uh, during the trip, I was taking my vitamins. They would always make sure that I get enough sleep, that I'm very hydrated. If anything happened, I got a flat tire twice. I had my cell phone on me. So whenever that happened, I would call. Although they weren't behind me, they would hike during the day or they would stop at places. I was cycling along uh, by myself. But when I needed them, I always knew that we could catch up on the road and they would come and help me if you tried to do more or less the same distance every day, but there were days when you, where you, when you broke the record. What was the record? Yeah, that was uh, between Calgary and Medicine Hat. It was 260 kilometers. It was amazing. It was a perfect day. And I started really late too. I started around one o'clock, maybe because it was just this beautiful day and it was uh, really flat. In Alberta, it's really flat. I just made that decision that day, you know what, this is going to be my record day. And um, I felt like some energy kind of like got into my body and I was cycling really, really fast because I was keeping a constant of uh, 35 kilometers uh, for nine hours. So when I got off the bike, it was 1030 or 11 o'clock. It was completely pitch black. And uh, I was so shaky when I finally got off the bike, I felt that I couldn't even walk. The next day, I only had to make 40 kilometers. And that day, it happened that it was horrible, horrible wind. I was cycling against the wind. And because of all this fatigue that I felt from the day before, I was riding about 9 to 10 kilometers per hour. And for the last part, I asked my dad to drive in front of me to block the wind. It really depended on weather, on the amount of sleep I got, especially on the wind, because even if it was raining, the rain is not so bad. It's the wind. What was the most difficult part in all this? Pain. I had a very difficult uh, time with pain. Uh, at times, uh, my seat was very hard. It was actually getting worse and worse. The pain was so horrible that sometimes I would just right standing because I could not sit anymore. Which part of the country you felt was the most attractive, the most beautiful, some places where you would really like to go back? I found the entire country beautiful. There's something amazing in every single province. I love the Glacier Park in uh, Alberta. Banff was amazing. Um, the whole island, Vancouver Island, was stunning. Northern Ontario was one of the highlights. And then once I got closer to the east, I loved uh, Newfoundland. The plants, everything looks like from a different world. It's a very Arctic. Everything is shorter, lots of moss, uh, different plants that we've, we don't see here in Ontario. And I loved Quebec. Quebec is very colorful. Lots of little uh, houses. Everyone is different color. They have bakeries right on the road and all the markets and coffee shops and 
it's very colorful and European, and I love that too because I come from Europe. Even in prairies, it's a grassland, so we saw antelopes. The plants are very small, but they are very fragrant. Every tiny little plant smells and it's so beautiful and aromatic. And when I was cycling, it was just like waves of um, aromatherapy coming my way. Although during the time when I was cycling, they had horrible um, forest fires in northern Saskatchewan and the smoke traveled to the south. So for four or five days, I was riding in a very thick smoke, it ended up uh, affecting my lungs. As you talk a lot, a lot about nature because that's your great passion and great interest. You, you made all these um, discoveries, you wrote about it, you're planning a book. Yeah, so I'm passionate about plants. Uh, I am a homeopath. I make my own tinctures, my oils. I even started my own cosmetic lines with wild plants and extracts from flowers that I collect. When I was cycling, I would look for plants that are edible and add them to my sandwiches, to my salads. Uh, I recognized so many plants that I only saw in books before, and not all of them grow in Ontario. So I saw prickly pear uh, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and they have beautiful fruit that you can eat. Or um, eyebrow, like plants that are very rare, but in certain parts of Canada, they grow in abundance so I would take pictures of them, I would make teas with them, and then, yes, I'm in the process of writing a book about all the wild plants that I came across and I consumed or I used in during my trip. If you were to talk about this experience as, as a learning experience, what would those things be that you've learned? I learned that dreams definitely come true. I noticed that it's not necessarily the body that matters, it's the mind. As soon as I would change my mindset and look at beauty around me and be grateful for, for what I have and look for the positive side, all of a sudden I would feel my body would just feel energized. I would enjoy the ride a lot more. So the mindset, that was my biggest realization is the most important part in life. Would you do this again? Yeah, but no, I don't know if I would do Canada again. My next trip is uh, to cycle around Cuba with my dad. He bought a bike now and uh, he started to cycle and train. So that's something that I'm considering um, doing different parts of the world, not necessarily the same distance again. How is Canada? Well, Canada is a gem. Well, I think we have one of the most beautiful nature Um in the world. I feel like Canada has it all. We've got gorgeous lakes, we've got mountains, glaciers, we've got oceans, um, we've got caves, we have basically anything, a desert and um, grasslands, we have prairies. Like It's an incredible country that has basically anything that you can imagine. If you love nature, you, you can never get bored here. So that's just my passion. In the last episode, we played this piece of music, wondering if you recognize it.
If you happen to be in Krakow, this magic gem of medieval architecture, home of Polish kings and the former capital of Poland, you will hear it every hour played four times each time. Heino Mariacki, as it is called, is a trumpet call played from the taller of the two towers of the 13th century Gothic St. Mary's Church in the city's main square. It goes back to the 14th century. It was brought to Poland by King Louis I of Hungary. After the coronation, the king went back to Hungary, but the Heino remained. The first written mention appears in city pay records in 1392. First, it was played at dawn and dusk by a city watchman to announce opening and closing of the city gates. Why four times? Well, because it was played in the direction of the four city gates. The word hey now comes from Hungarian. Although the Polish language is known for its unpronounceable words, this one is really easy. Hey, like in hey, what's up? And now, like in right now, hey now. So now you've learned a new Polish word. Hey now has become a symbol of Poland. Since 1927, the Polish national radio has been playing it in Poland and abroad at 12 noon making it the oldest musical radio signal in the world. During the Second World War in 1944, a bugler played the tune to announce the historic Polish army's victory in the Battle of Monte Cassino. The final part of Heinau is suddenly interrupted. Apparently, a watchman who was playing Heinau to warn the inhabitants of Krakow of the approaching Mongol army was shot in the throat and couldn't play it to the end. This legend first appeared in 1928 in a children's book, The Trumpeter of Krakow, written by American Eric P. Kelly. It's disputed by historians, but one thing is worth noting. This book won the Newbery Medal for Excellence in American Children's Literature in 1929. Whether the trumpeter was really shot, or maybe just fell asleep, the interruption in the final notes of Heinau has been preserved till now. The job of the city trumpeter playing the Heinau has always been a real honor. The Colton family has played the Heinau for the three consecutive generations, and the longest-serving trumpeter was Adolf Schmitana, the name means sour cream, who played the Heinau for 36 years, beginning in 1926. In the year 2000, the melody of Heinau was listed in the Guinness Book of Records, after it was played by almost 2,000 trumpeters from all over the world, military orchestras from Poland, Britain, Belgium and Spain, as well as civilians. The youngest Bigler was 8 years old. The oldest was 79. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it?
listening to the second episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Banikowska and Tomek Kniat. We would like to thank Ola Turkiewicz for the jingles, Michalina Paczyńska for logo design, Robert Kniat and Magda Papisz for their contribution. For full-length interviews, visuals, and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. Thank you for listening.